You're listening to Japan Baseball Weekly. News, interviews, analysis, and hot takes about all 12 NPB teams. Hosted by Jim Allen and John E. Gibson. Hi, and welcome to the Japan Baseball Weekly Podcast. It's for the week of February 21st. I'm John Gibson, and with me on a Sunday morning, a wet, cold Sunday morning, is Jim Allen. You awake, buddy? How you doing? I'm good. Thanks for cheering me up with all the weather talk. <laughs> don't look outside. Just, just don't look outside. Just look away. Look away from the window. <laughs> yeah. How did you know I was kind of like peeking through the curtains right now when you said that? <laughs> because after 12 years of this, you know, we pretty much know each other's yeah, thoughts. Yeah, I know. I, I know. On occasion, know. on occasion. Okay. Um, so, yeah. Yes. So I'm about to peek through the window and I can hear the rain beating off the awnings in the, the shop across the street. So you're in the studio, the Koenji. Japan Baseball Weekly Podcast Annex. Yes, the place we have not been in a while because, quite frankly, and we apologize for not having a show in a while, but the Olympics really have consumed our schedules and we just could not find the time for Jim and I to sit down and and record a show. So Yeah, John's uh, John's a morning person and I I would like to be, but my work typically keeps me out until one or two in the morning. And during the Olympics, almost every day till one and two in the morning. So, right, right. And with the young kids, it really makes me a morning person because <laughs> I want to get anything done. It has to happen before those two get up. So, <laughs> indeed, yeah. So uh, this especially is, my work challenge. This but, is our uh, Olympic challenge, but we we made it uh, on the day of the closing ceremony. So that's right. Yes, good riddance. <laughs> Carry your flags and your torches and get the heck out of here. Um, now, listen, I, I've had a really good week, and I don't want to ramble on about it, but this week really has had some big ramifications in my life. So, <laughs> you can ramble. You're good. <laughs> but anyway, uh, when your team wins the Super Bowl, it's just it just puts you on cloud nine. So I, I kind of am on cloud nine. But anyway, in the midst of the war tensions and the COVID tensions and stressors everywhere, uh, there's no baseball in the major leagues either. So it's really a hard time for everybody. So we're glad to bring you the show. And on this week's show, we've got a chat with Gary Hill. He is the radio play-by-play man for the Seattle Mariners. We're going to talk about camps. We're going to talk about Hanshin Tiger skipper Akihiro Yano's plan to step down after the season. We're going to hit some notes and some high heat. So let's start swinging. Clearing the bases. So Gary Hill, the radio play-by-play voice of the Seattle Mariners, I've known him for about 10 years or so. And he yeah. invited me to do a few hits on his podcast. And I've done, I've talked to him uh, a couple times when he has come to Japan. And the last time he was here was was Ichiro's uh, retirement. And I guess that was about three years ago. And, uh, Good, was March three years 2019. Ago? Yeah, yeah, three years ago. And we sat down in uh, at Tokyo Dome in their broadcast booth. And I asked him about microphones. And he actually helped me go out and get a quality mic and so hopefully the sound is still high quality i heard i saw a tweet i guess last year late last year and someone said something about the sound and then i said oh i apologize i maybe i should get a new mic and the, and the listener said no it's the interviews that are bad. <laughs> and i'm like well we you know we are trapped in zoom and telephone land for the time being so i don't know when that's going to get better 
perhaps sometime this year that'll get better. But anyway, Gary was a bit played a big role in us getting a better microphone for me. Uh, mm. And Jim has always had really good sound. I don't know why. I don't think you invest as much money as I do in, <laughs> in the equipment. But anyway, I'm not a professional speaker and I have no training. So I'm always intimidated when we bring these professional speakers on the show. But Gary's such a pro and he's he's really good people and he works for an internationally popular team. So let's take a listen. All right, we are pleased to be joined by Gary Hill Jr., the Seattle Mariners play-by-play radio broadcaster. How are you doing? Nice to see you again. It has been quite a while. It has been a long time, John, and it's great to see you. Uh, the last time I saw you, it was actually in person in Tokyo a couple years ago, but it's uh, it's great to see your face once again. Nice to see your face. You're looking well. Happy New Year and all the uh, all the other nice things we have to say about that we've talked about for the past five minutes before we start. <laughs> yeah. Happy New Year to you. It's so fun to catch up. We we uh, seemingly once a year or so end up talking to each other about baseball. And it's just it's always one of my favorite conversations when we get a chance to talk. So awesome. Awesome. I, I appreciate you on. And, and thank you. And look, you have invited me on numerous times. And so I thought, you know what, this year I want to get Gary on our show and just talk about what it's like to have Japanese players on a team and how to cover them. So let's get started. So. Uh, now, you've been with the club 13 years. You've been broadcasting as an employee of the company for the past five. Now, what is it or who was the first Japanese player on the team when you started and how did you go about covering? Them? It's a great question. I grew up here as well, too. So I, I was a Mariners fan before I was a broadcaster and worked for the team. So when I think back to the first, uh, I think of Max Suzuki as the first uh, first Japanese-born Mariners player. He didn't spend that long uh, as a Mariner, but he spent parts of six seasons as a Mariner. But the the first real impact I remember as a fan was Kazuhiro Sasaki in 2000. And to put it in context, Mariners were really good in the mid-90s. It was the Griffey, Edgar Martinez, Randy Johnson era, really good teams. What they never had through that era into the 2000s was a bullpen. The bullpen always struggled, save for uh, a flash from Norm Charlton in 95. And mm-hmm. then Saki comes on the scene and was a star for the Mariners, was an all-star, was lights out. And we were just like, what is this? You know, throwing the fork ball, which we had never seen a pitch like that in Seattle before. It's like he could tell the hitters at the time what was coming, and they couldn't hit it. It was, it was nasty, and it was so fun. And the Mariners went to the playoffs that year. In 2001, of course, Ichiro came over. Sasaki was dominant in that year as well. The Mariners won 116 games that season. And, of course, Ichiro burst on the scene in 2001. Ichiro was still there my first year covering the team in 2010. So he was the first Japanese player I covered. And at that point, he was Ichiro. I mean, he had he was... An absolute superstar. At that point, when I started with the Mariners, everyone knew that, that we are watching a no doubt first ballot Hall of Famer. He had already built his resume up as one of the best players in baseball, one of the best players we have ever seen. So I think intimidation is probably the first word that comes to mind when covering a player like Ichiro and you go into the clubhouse <laughs> and see him for the first time in his domain. Uh, because at that point he was, 
you know, one of the greats, one right. of the all time greats. And I feel like everyone that does this as a writer or even even a player or a broadcaster, there are certain players. I mean, you get used to being around ball players and used to seeing Hall of Famers, and it's just it's part of the job. But I always feel like there are certain players that everyone has where it, it brings you back to when you were a kid. And so when I see Ichiro, I get that when I was a kid because he he was a star that I watched develop and he's just he's just one of those guys I loved watching so much. All right, well before we move on to the next question, I have a comment about the other Suzuki you mentioned and that's Mac. I did an interview with him, I think it was 1996 because Hideo Nomo made his jump to the to the majors, I, I believe it was 95. And I talked to Max Suzuki through, uh, actually, we did the interview in my my 20 year ago Japanese version of me um, because he wow. didn't want he didn't want to speak English in front of the the minor league PR people because he didn't really want them to know what was going on. So, But he and I had an interview. So, yeah, I remember that. I remember that. So the next question was, what are the Japanese names that have given you the most trouble pronunciation wise and why? Yeah. You know what's really funny about that is I feel like and and things have changed so much because I remember as a fan when Ichiro first came over that there was a lot of mystery and it, it it's hard to think about that now because we see Ichiro and we we see the Hall of Famer we see one of the greats but when he first came over from our perspective we didn't know all that much about Ichiro and we weren't sure what kind of player he was going to be. In fact, there, there's a really funny story from spring training, if you've never heard it, where Ichiro is just kind of doing his thing. It's early spring training. He's just kind of flaying the ball the other way, that kind of thing. And Lou Pinella at some point walks up to him and says, hey, can you just pull the ball? He just wanted to pull the ball just one time. So what does Ichiro do? Next, a bat goes up and just slugs one over the wall, just pulls a home run. And... Ichiro comes to the dugout and was like, okay, fine, now do whatever you want. So, uh, <laughs> you know, it was that kind of introduction. And then he burst onto the scene. It, he made the throw from right field, still called the throw in Seattle, throwing at Terrence Long that was just a ridiculous play early on and just all the hits early. And it was all history from there. But I, since then, things have really changed. I feel like when Japanese players come over, we already have a sense of who they are and I always feel like the first time I say they, their names on the air, I've already said their names so many times that they feel familiar. I, I don't have trouble with their names. Now, when it gets to their high schools and hometowns, that is where I really have to work. But I feel there's a real sense of familiarity when guys come over now. It's just much different than it used to be. Right, right. I got that. Now, I know on radio you guys need to present stories. You need to talk about the players while their bat goes on. And you do that with a lot of the uh, regular, or not regular players, but you do that with a lot of the players you know. But what about when it comes to these Japanese players? How do you get those stories and that background information to present to listeners on the air when, when they come up to bat? Well, I call you first. You're the first call I make. So <laughs> I bet you say that to all the guys. <laughs> no. uh, I mean, you've given me some great info uh, over the years. But what's unique about players that have been in Japan is they have been playing professional baseball. It, it's so unique as compared to when a guy comes up from the minor leagues who has some stories, but it's a different thing playing in double-A Arkansas 
compared to playing professionally in Japan for a no- usually a number of years. Usually we're talking about a guy who's been playing professionally for six or seven years. And so what's fun is there's usually a lot of stuff to mine. Uh, just I go to the Internet, and the first thing I do is go to Baseball Reference, and I kind of click year by year. And I just like to get a sense of who his teammates were. were did he play with any Americans who are back over here or I can talk to now? Uh, who were his teammates during the course of the years? Who did he face that's in Major League Baseball now? And just try and find those connections early on and get some stories that way. And, and after that, just doing research because uh, there are great stories to be found uh, when a guy has been playing already professionally for so long. He already has some stories to work with. So in a lot of ways, there's a lot more detail there than like a typical minor leaguer, for example. Right. So, um, well, talking about coverage now, I had a friend who was working with the L.A. Daily News and he would call me up once in a while. He say, look, man, the, the, the interpreter is, you know, Nomo talks for five minutes and the interpreter comes on and says, yes, I did or something like that. And, he, you know, we're not getting the full story here. You got to help me out. You got to help me out, Gibbs. So um, <laughs> what, what's the way that you guys go about covering the players? Because. This guy told me, well, one one of the ways they went around the interpreter was to go and talk to Mike Piazza, the catcher, or talk to the pitching coach, or talk to other people to cover this player. Yeah. yeah. Actually, I think that's great advice, no matter who you're talking about. Whether you're talking about a, a Japanese pitcher or an American pitcher or a Latin pitcher, I, I don't think it matters what kind of pitcher you're talking about. I think you... Uh, forming a, a great relationship with the catcher or catchers on a club I think is it's really good to get another perspective about the pitcher you're talking about and the pitching coach as well. And what's great about this day and age, you know, baseball staffs have ballooned when you're talking about uh, the on-field staff, but also the analytics department. At this point, you can get all kinds of different perspectives about a certain pitcher you can talk to numbers gurus and what are they seeing you can talk to usually a pitching coach has an assistant pitching coach as well there's roving pitches coaches there's a lot of people now involved that you can get different perspectives from and and whether it's a japanese pitcher or not those are great resources to go to and i give the interpreters a lot of credit here i do feel like that we get we get what is being said uh by the pitchers which is which is great. Yeah, yeah. But you don't get it all. I'll just let you know. <laughs> you don't get it all. Uh, and conversely, the, 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 the fans here and the media here don't get it all when the interpreter is interpreting for the foreign players over here. So it goes both ways. So Now, Seattle has a huge Japanese community, and uh, it, it just really makes sense that the Mariners, I, I didn't do the research, but I'm just absolutely sure they have had the most Japanese players uh, since Japanese players started continuously or routinely going to the to the big leagues so how important is it to have japanese players on the seattle mariners i think they really cherish the relationship uh not only the organization but the fans do as well and it's you think about the impact that japanese players have made with the mariners through the years i mean it, it starts with ichiro of course i mean he is a first ballot Hall of Famer who is one of the best players in Mariners history. He's up there with Ken Griffey Jr. and Edgar Martinez. You know, that's who you're talking about when you're talking about Ichiro's place in Mariners history. He's beloved by the fans. We see him all the time. 
And it's not just him. Kazuhiro Sasaki, who we already talked about, is the all-time saves leader in Mariners history. You can make the case he's the best relief pitcher the Mariners have ever seen. Shigatosi Hasegawa made an all-star team as a Mariner. He had a couple of fantastic year with the M's. Uh, Hisashi Wakuma, when you talk about best starters in Mariners history, he's on the list. I mean, his no-hitter is one of the pitching highlights in Mariners history. Forgot and, about that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and personally, I loved watching him pitch. He was he was so fun to watch because he was such a, such a craftsman with the way he went about it. He was so surgical on how he dissected teams. And I always felt uh, that he was really underrated in Major League Baseball. And maybe part of that was uh, just the way he went about it. You know, just quietly, surgically, just going after teams, hitting the corners. You know, it, it wasn't, he wouldn't get big strikeout numbers, but he has one of the best ERAs in Mariners history. And it, I just really enjoyed watching him pitch. And you just go down the list. And there's such a proud tradition. And they've had such a big impact. Japanese-born players have had such huge impact in this franchise's history. I would argue more so than any other team in Major League Baseball. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. All right, uh, the last question, and we'll let you go. Back in the day, I, I think it was about 10 years ago. It might have been a little bit more than that. You asked me, you had me on your show. You asked me a very innocuous question at the end. You just kind of threw it out there saying, well, you know, anything going on out there in NPB that we should know about. And I told you the story of the young Shohei Otani and how he was pitching and hitting. And um, I just remember that moment and, and you were so impressed. And I because I remember listening to the show and how you set it up and you talked about that. And now I look at what he has done this past season and. Uh, how a lot of teams come over here. They've got scouts looking for Japanese, like you mentioned earlier before, about mining uh, for information. They're mining for the next Japanese impact player to come over there. How desperate do you see MLB teams being about getting import players from Japan? Well, teams want good players, and teams want stars, and teams are looking for superstars, and we've seen that coming from Japan. And it's the Mariners have seen it, as we've talked about with Ichiro, who's one of the best players in the game. You know, I was thinking about it, too, uh, when knowing we were going to have this conversation. And I was it's funny, I was thinking about some of my favorite just memories in the game, you know, pushing aside, you know, Ichiro being a great player. He has provided some of my all-time greatest memories as someone who has watched baseball for a long time as you know I, I think about you know when we were in tokyo uh i will never forget watching ichiro play his last games in tokyo and just the reception he got and uh my wife was on that trip too we talk about the trip to to this day uh just what an amazing time we had and one of my one of my all-time favorite moments is we did not do the exhibition games on the radio. So I was there as a fan watching uh, the Mariners play a couple exhibition games, one against the Giants, and Tokyo Dome was packed. And I went to right field because I wanted to sit out with all the instruments. I don't know what the section is called, but it, it was a party out there. It was so fun. <laughs> Ichiro was playing right field, and I remember him going, going back for a ball and making a catch. And he whipped off a vintage throw to third base. It was it was a moment like he turned back the hands of time 
And that that throw to third is the same thing we saw all those years with him patrolling right field. That's a memory I'll never forget. Uh, to this day, you know, it's funny. When we broadcast the last couple of years because of the pandemic, we have not been traveling on the road. Right. So we have been broadcasting road games from our home booth. So picture us in the ballpark at T-Mobile Park, completely empty stadium, and watching games on TV. You ask me what I'll remember from this era of baseball. I will remember us sitting there, completely empty stadium, calling, I don't know, the Mariners in Houston playing the Astros. We're watching it live. And as we look down on the field, there's Ichiro working out with the guys who are injured. Throwing batting practice, he... He uh, picked up some catcher's gear. He's catching. He was catching bullpens. He's running sprints. I mean, he's got. He looks exactly the same as he did as when he played, except a little more gray on the top of his head. Outside of that, it looks like he can still play. It's the memories like that that I'll, I'll always take away. And I guess it's a it's a long wind up to say that Japan produces great baseball players. And Major League Baseball is always looking for great baseball players. And, of course, they're going to continue to look to Japan for great baseball players. I mean, it's a long list now. If you look at the the all-stars and the MVPs and the superstars that have come from Japan. And it's only going to increase, I think. Okay. Well, um, we hope that your win total increases over last year's. And we hope that you guys reach the playoffs. And perhaps there'll be a Japanese player on the roster as well we'll be looking out for that but have a great year really appreciate you coming on taking the time and thank you for your wonderful voice i, I, I got to take lessons after after we get down ah. this. <laughs> john you're too kind it was great to catch up as always all right thank you very much all right uh full disclosure now uh, amid the lockout there's a moratorium on mlb employees publicly discussing players under contract and perhaps some free agents who are active and intend to play and be under contract this year. So Gary could not talk about specifics about players. And other than that, what did you like about the chat? Uh, everything. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was uh, it was really a breath of fresh air in a sense. It's so different from what we usually do. Mm-hmm. And the, the angle was really interesting. And he's just a, he is a really... He has a lot of energy in his voice that um, that is not it's not uh, like manufactured or artificial or if it is to the degree he's really good at sustaining it. Mm-hmm. But he has <laughs> he has a couple of you know you know you can't it's hard to be genuine all the time. But he he has that sort of enthusiasm, which is really fun. You can t- you can sense that um, he has a he has a, a sort of ne- necessity for hyperbola. Mm-hmm. You know, Ichiro was arrived in Japan, arrived in Seattle as a first ballot Hall of Famer. <laughs> right. I'm I'm thinking, <laughs> okay, okay, let's get off that bus. But we, yeah, we have heard the uh, as as you you know, I did had heard that story, the Lou Pinella story is. I think Ichiro's comment was, "How's that for pulling the ball?" Uh, <laughs> but I did, lo- I did love his turn of phrase. I don't listen to the Mariners. I don't um, very often on 
when I was still subscribing, when I was still paying money to MLB, I, I rarely listened to the Mariners just because of the, uh, the, not the quality of the team, but this or that, you know, the, the players I need to listen are very rarely on with a, in a Mariners game. So I can't say I've ever heard uh, Gary Hill before, except. For well, you know, the other part is that we're, we're in such a visual era that I don't mm-hmm. think a lot of people bother to listen when they have the option to, to watch. Oh, except John. Well, yeah, I'm, you're, I'm, you're sick. A I'm a sicko. <laughs> I'm <Yeah>. a sicko. <laughs> yeah, that's that is true. I don't. Uh, I'm not a radio person. I've stopped being a radio person, but I did love his uh, turn of phrase, and I, I think what I I liked the most of out of all of it was that little vignette about working and seeing Ichiro in the real time in the now time. Hmm. Because re, as in his current role as an advisor to the chairman of the Mariners and as an instructor with the minors and the major leagues, right. what he does, he spends all his time in Seattle uh, working with players or going to Tacoma and working with the minor leaguers when the Mariners are out of town. Mm-hmm. And that little bit, you know, People, people do ask me who who care about baseball and know who know that I I care about baseball. They say, "What does Ichiro do other than appear on Japanese television commercials?" And <laughs> the answer Gary provided it, and I'm very happy for that. And I, I want to thank uh, Gary for 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 doing that. I, I I was I was thrilled. I thought I, I really enjoyed it. Okay. Yeah, I, I think everybody has a version of that Ichido and Lupinella spring mm. training story, some kind of anecdote. Lou's got several. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I actually really liked Gary's impression of Lou. I thought he was spot on. I mean, <laughs> he, obviously he talked to him for quite a while and did interviews and got to know the, the phrasing and the intonation and and the delivery, and he was pretty good. I thought. I mean, <laughs> I seem to be alone in that thought, but whatever. Uh, well, what, what, I, agreed. I, then I enjoyed it. I I think he he has a he has a real he has talent. I'll tell you, he's got talent uh, in in terms <laughs> of um, the way he can deliver things and the way he can pace things. And I'm just I was kind of in awe. Yeah. Um, what we don't usually hear from, well, we don't really get to talk to professionals who don't play that much. We, you know, mm. or you, this, that's why I enjoyed sitting down with him as well, because we're usually talking to people who used to play or who are coaching right. now. So they're involved with the playing. And when you hear a person who, I mean, let's just say, for instance, he is involved in about 500 hours a season, maybe more if you count the spring spring mm. season and, and and training camp and all those things. Five hundred, six hundred hours of baseball each year, and he's willing to go to a game at Tokyo Dome, sit amongst the spectators, and, and, and being wowed by a player like Ichiro, whom he has seen for more than a decade. <laughs> he's watched him live, and and he's enthusiastic about sitting amongst the fans and, and just watching a baseball game. That's kind of crazy. That I mean, like, I know I'm a sicko that I will wake up in the morning, listen to Major League Baseball, 
as I do workouts and all that stuff. And I can't wait, especially on the weekends when the baseball games here in Japan start early, I can turn on the radio and start listening to pregame shows and watch baseball all day long, especially, like I said, on the weekends when the game mm. started, maybe one o'clock or two o'clock here in Japan. And there's a night game as well. That means that, I mean, I got 12 hours of baseball. <laughs> Good one well, anymore. <laughs> yeah, well, and, I'll tell you, I understand what you're saying because, but there is a thing about that. I mean, I'm not any, anything like, I'm not even in your league. I'm in the, I'm in the, I'm in the rookie ball of baseball fan <laughs> um, following compared to John Gibson. And, <laughs> But I understand it because when I started, when I go to the winter meetings, I get that look like, don't you have enough to do in Japan without coming to America or going to spring training? Or the yeah. one, uh, since we're on a Mariners thing, uh, Jay Buhner, the former Mariners third baseman. Bone. Uh, hmm? Bone. That was yes. Bone. I went, I was in Detroit in 1999 to interview Masao Kida back right after I, I was working at, when I was working at the Yomiuri on my vacation, I stopped and visited relatives and I went to Tiger Stadium. Mm-hmm. And I was it was the first time I've ever been on a major league field before okay. a game. And I was talking with uh, the Mariners were there and I was just saying I was you know from Japan and I did baseball stuff and Jay Buner said, you're in America on vacation and you came to Detroit. Is there something wrong with you? <laughs> no offense, Jason Coskery. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure Jason wouldn't take it as an offense anyway, but he's like going, come on. And, and, but that was, that was, that's my lone Mariners story. Right. So, Right. So, I mean, the, the enthusiasm Gary has to go to a game at Tokyo Dome, sit down, and watch, and obviously he's watching one of the greatest players in the history of Japan, and mm. one of the greatest players in the history of Mariners Club, you know, franchise history, and, sure. and it's well, Major League Baseball, and he's enthusiastic to sit down and do that and work the games as well. So I loved hearing that story, yes, and so much appreciate him, and mm. just want to say thank you again for the time and the great. The great chat, and I really am taking lessons. <laughs> I got to get better at this. <laughs> indeed, indeed, we can all learn and get better. Always, if you're not getting better, you're getting worse. It is, it is definitely the truth. All right, let's uh, make a four seam transition and talk about uh, camps here in Japan. Now, other than Roki Sasaki of the Lotte Marines hitting 163 kilometers <laughs> yesterday with a fastball. Uh, there really hadn't been much in excitement, I don't think, in the camps. But we really have been, like I said, I mentioned earlier, head deep, shoulder deep uh, in Olympics. And we haven't, I, I personally haven't had as much time as I devote to camps this year as I, as I devote in normal years because of the Olympics. And I know that's true for you. If you've had any time at all to look at the Olympic, uh, to training camp no, stuff, I, I'd be surprised. I look at the news. I, I look at the news and I say... Oh, this rookie threw 30 pitches today and this other player threw batting practice. And I go, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And normally in 
our, you know, not non-COVID years and all this other stuff that's happening with the Olympics and and just things just being off kilter in general, the camp, the TV media in particular latches on to a popular rookie and we see his every move. We see his you know, multiple first uh, hits or first whatever his home runs. Uh, first, and Japan is a nation of firsts, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And so we the, the the media latches onto this player and we just we have it's it's we have to suffer. And well we've got a manager year, to do that this year so. This year it's there's a player or the person or the personality or the figure the media has latched on to is fighters first year skipper Tsuyoshi Shinjo and apparently there's no clear-cut crown jewel out there among the rookies, so I kind of understand that. But Shinjo has been such an entertainer from the first press conference in which, you know, I, I'm not really sure that he didn't show up for that press conference high. <laughs> and he's still high. But from him riding on expensive motorcycles and uh, expensive cars, showing up for practices and camp activities to him getting in front of the camera and holding up the peace sign and just being an overall goof. Um, the big boss situation, he's got this big boss stage that's painted red and it's basically one of those big, I guess a stand, mm-hmm. a, a very high stand that he can, from which he can uh, observe everything. But uh, you know, the big boss, one word, the branding has started, you know, it's, they mm-hmm. make it one word and uh it's just kind of ridiculous. I, I don't know. I don't know how the players feel about that part of it. But what I can say from what I've seen, he's doing some things that are, if not quirky, innovative. Uh, he had the players uh, who were going to be playing in a particular practice game recently. He had them uh, select bingo in a bingo style. What do you call those little things where they? Oh, I don't know. It's a. It's basically a raffle um, lottery kind of thing. It's a, but, but you know, the thing, it, it has a hole in it and they spin right. it around and then the ball spits out. Anyway, they, he had correct. the, yeah, he had, he ran, he had basically randomized his, uh, starting lineups. Yeah. Yeah. The, how he was going to, so he basically had the players select bingo style to decide what the lineup was going to be after he had decided who was going to play. He had players, um, play in various positions in a practice game recently. So a mm. shortstop was out in center field or a second baseman was out in left field. And I like that guys- actually because there's a whole uh, Japanese Japanese baseball. MLB used to be like this to a great degree, but Japanese baseball has this aura of what we do is akin to heart surgery. Mm-hmm. And don't <laughs> don't mess with, you know, it's like the manager is going to be 30 minutes late for the first day of camp. How is it going to affect the season's preparations? You know, right. that kind of thing. And here's Shinjo basically poking a stick at the whole thing. So I'm I think that's that's wonderful. You know, he's, and- I, I think it is, you know, as long as you get the work done. Nobody cares. Right. And I think f- the time for this is, is now. It, mm-hmm. It's a good time to do these things with practice games. And mm-hmm. uh, it's fine to play. It's fine to be the entertainer. And and what he's doing, what he said was he wanted the, each player to know what's going on in the minds of players who are playing other positions. 
Mm. Um, when you're playing first base, what is, what are your mental responsibilities? How do you think the game? And he wanted he, he wants everybody to be yeah. able to to know what. And I don't think that's a bad uh, way no, to go I think about that's it. That's fine. That's that's I. It's novel, and I think that's the good thing about. Shin but wait a minute. Wait, wait. Do, the, 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 I'm sorry. But you can you say it's more? novel. But I, I mean, these kids, these guys grew up playing baseball. It's not like they don't know what's True going enough. on. Yeah, so, so I don't, I, I'm don't not sure it's a lot that it novel a thing because we put these players in the positions where they best can contribute. So they, but they understand the rest of the. This is Most not new. Them, yeah, yeah, they understand the rest of the of the situations uh, in baseball. So I'm I'm not sure that that's new, but. You know, we heard in our most recent podcast, Alex Ramirez come on and talk about the fact that Kiyoshi Nakahata with the DNA Bay Stars was maybe uh, the field managers, so to speak. <laughs> we didn't know. Field manager slash entertainer. Entertainer, yeah. Which one, which, what did the pie look like? Was it 70% entertainer, 30% field manager? What? How did they slice that up? Yeah, it was but, hard to tell. But this this quirky, you know, nutty guy next door, but also crazy like a fox air that I have with uh, with Chinjo is a little bit different for for, for right now. Mm-hmm. This, this really kind of smacks of circus ringmaster or a guy who's out front and but actually doesn't do anything but jibber jabber. If we get into preseason games in the regular season and we still see this kind of thing, so I just I, I mean, I, I really have a headache when I watch it, but. Um, if if he really is crazy like a fox, then I, I think it's brilliant. But I think the jury is going to be out on this, and we're gonna, we're just going to have to get into the season or at least some games that uh, somewhat matter, some preseason games, and see how this develops. So I, I'm, I'm going to hold. Uh, yeah, hold I, off I think I've said it before, but I think the 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 whole advantage of of a Shinjo is that he uh, takes the pressure off the he takes all the all the pressure off the players yes. you know the only thing that matters is today's game we're not gonna you know he says you know why worry about stuff we you know it's a lot of it is if you look at it a lot of it is don't worry about the stuff that doesn't matter take care mm-hmm. of the things you can take care of i mean he's not saying it matter of factly like like he's a like you know, he's a baseball philosopher He's taking it as he's a baseball clown, and I'm, I, I, in the sense, like a rodeo clown. He's there, you know. Baseball's got a, there's enough pressure in baseball as it is, and he's the one who's distracting the bull of that pressure away from the players. Uh, that's a good thing. And Japan's got all these little, you know, Japan, as you said, Japan, Japan's latches onto rookies and their firsts, and the media, the media's job is to basically build up uh, expectations about players that really have not little to do with reality. Mm-hmm. Shinjo's basically there saying, don't worry, don't sweat the small stuff, you know, play, you know, play today's game, be in the moment, um, work on yourself. You know, it's all this stuff that's really, really, really critical. I, I, I like that stuff. Now, of course, um, Probably the most interesting thing I heard, uh, I was quite shocked at his press conference when he thanked uh, now the former GM, the then GM, uh, Hiroshi uh, Yoshimura, for for recommending him. And it almost made me 
swallow up two spoonfuls of Wheaties in one gulp because <laughs> I know Hiroshi Yoshimura. And this is a guy who uh, he and I used to talk analytics uh, 25, gosh, 28 years ago. Wow, 1990s uh, nerd talk. All right. Yeah, uh, really super nerd talk. You know, he's going like, how would you, you know, how would you do project player projections? You know, the kind of stuff that's now really a big deal. Mm-hmm. And that's this, and he was telling me, this is the stuff teams are going to eat up. And I'm going, ah, I don't know. But he was always ahead of me. But anyway, uh, he's an ultra serious guy. But he was the guy, apparently, and uh, this, the whole Shinjo thing was his idea. Yeah, which is, you know, it's like um, Albert Einstein showing up at school, you know, at Princeton University and saying, you know, the, the, we're going to learn science by wearing clown noses. Hashtag hi. hi. <laughs> so, uh, but I learned, I learned uh, uh, over the winter, I learned, I had a had lunch with somebody who worked TV for the fighters, local TV. And he said, um, Yoshimura was a, was a, a really... I I always suspected he hated the job because he hmm. he became he was really chatty before and really friendly and open and as soon as he become became general manager he was like I'm not talking to you because you're a reporter you know he, he didn't even say that he just had a look I'm not talking to you because you're a reporter and I'm not giving away any information you know he looked like he was afraid of um people spying or something he he was looking around corners and i other reporters i know who knew him had the same thing but uh this guy with the fighters said this guy was became like a super control freak everything about the fight he was obsessed with with details and um immersed in everything and so he had his hands in everything so it's sort of like why shinjo uh, so the crazy like a fox is really kind of interesting. Of course, now uh, Hiroshi Yoshimura is now um, back in the job that he actually apparently enjoyed when he told me he didn't really have any work to do when he was an assistant to the general manager. Right. And I don't want to seem like I'm a stick in the mud because I like having fun. And Jim knows that as much as the next person. And yeah, I always try to get people to smile. I'm the one who's cracking jokes and lightening the mood all the time. Mm. So that's not a bad thing. I just I just think that this is a serious... Uh, the fans take it seriously. The players are working very hard. The team is serious about winning. Um, you know, and let's not make it into a clown show. But, you know, mm. the big boss theory, the slapstick comical approach is on the exterior. I think the basic baseball ideas are good. And I think, I, obviously, he knows how to play baseball. He knows what he's talking about. So he, I... I I just want to see him lead the team as a leader, not as a, you know, <laughs> ringmaster. <Yeah>. Right. <laughs> I mean, I, I when you, you talked about people playing out of their position, I had this image of, yeah, I think part of the fear was things are things he says sometimes. If you take what he says seriously, like we should have half the players on the team should be celebrities. They should polish their public image on television, should be on talk shows and things. And we should, people should be talking about us because we're entertaining, you know, things like that. And I think that's, and the big boss and all that stuff. It's, it's just distraction stuff. It's just him being Shinjo. And 
but mixed in with that is a lot of stuff that really, really makes sense uh, in the sense that he's, as I said, he's saying, don't sweat the small stuff. Don't get uh, overawed by stuff that's not important. And there's uh, right. Japanese, don't, don't drown in minutia. <laughs> and, and Japanese baseball is built to drown people in minutia. Right. Right. All right. Uh, other camp news that I have seen as we shift here a little bit. I, I did see a rookie pitcher with the Yomiuri Giants, uh, Yuji Taisei, and he um, he got some love on TV. But the, the you know the station seemed to be focusing on Yuto Akihiro, the the lanky left-handed hitting second-year player, and mm-hmm. the fact that he's wearing number fifty-five Hideki Matsui's number with the Giants, and seems like they're going to make a push for him to try to be a first teamer this year. And one of the TV station that I saw seems to be focusing on the fact that uh, I think it said that there were seven guys who started at first base for the giants last year. And so they really don't have a quote unquote first baseman. Uh, perhaps Akihiro could be that guy. And I also heard where Sho Nakata has put on some muscle, a lot of muscle. Uh, so he's gained weight and, uh, but that he wants to claim that first base spot as well. So that should be an interesting battle as, as we <laughs> move toward, uh, preseason and opening day. Um, and then other than that, Yasunobu Okugawa, uh, the ace, I think is going to be the clear ace of the Yakult Swallows, the defending Japan series champion Yakult Swallows, uh, looking sharp early. And then Munetaka, Murakami, the, the cleanup man, uh, still looking like he has a lot of baby fat. He's still looking so young, and but looking good in, in spring training as well. What have you seen, if you have seen anything at all? Very little. Uh, I guess the, the media is on, is is a lot of the, the former hitters, the for, the old guys who are former hitters, who I alluded to this last year, are are trying to descend on the Tigers' camp to say how they know uh, how to fix uh, Teruaki Sato <laughs> and how Japanese. If he does this, he'll hit. You know, he can hit forty home runs a year. And uh, I've heard I heard started hearing that talk last year, and the team wouldn't let the guys near him. Um, if they're if they're smart, if Yano's smart, he won't let people near him. Uh, let him talk to the people he wants to talk to. Sure, yeah, that <laughs> because that's you know that's the word. Every time, every time uh, I talk to somebody involved with a Japanese team, the mm-hmm. too many cooks spoil the broth is almost always brought up. Sure. You know, we heard that from Dennis Sarfate in regards to Carter Stewart Jr., that everybody had an opinion about what he needed to do. And we heard that from Warren Cromarty regarding uh, Kazumasa Okamoto of the Giants that, well, with, with Warren, it was a case of he said he was brought in to be sort of the loud, you know, to be the voice that Tatsunori Hara wanted uh, Okamoto to listen to. Mm-hmm. But I don't, one never knows that's true either because Haras likes to play his little spy games. I think he wanted, I want, he wanted uh, somebody who could be the loudest voice in the room. Okay. And that Warren Cromarty, although he's not a loud person, he certainly, um, he grabs your attention. Yes. <laughs> so I think he can that run the worked, room. 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, he's 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 <clears throat> dynamic in in a sense, and uh, he he filled that role. And Okamoto really, I think, uh, benefited from from having one voice he could listen to and ignore the others. We've seen that a lot. In, in some players who, when they took a big step forward, we saw that with Yoshitomo Tsutsugo. Uh, when Alex Ramirez came to the base stars, he had somebody who could listen to him and he could help him sort of like focus. Right. So I think with Sato, I, I, I think that's going to be a problem. That was probably a problem last year too, is that too many people wanted to tell him what to do. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I think I've part seen... of the Sato situation was second half of fatigue and part, that the opponents really got to know him and know sure. his weaknesses. So he's going to just have to make adjustments, but so maybe he wasn't broken. It just, he just needed to make some adjustments. No, I, I think it was, I think his, the, his adjustments were probably what broke him in a sense that he started adjusting in ways, you know, trying to fix things that probably weren't broken. Mm. And, and he started doing things. Um, Kenichi Yasawa, was in our long, long chat last summer said, basically he's, he's lost completely lost the strike zone because he can't keep his head still anymore. Mm. And, uh, I actually saw in not in reference to Teruaki Sato, but I saw there was a great interview on NHK with Hiromitsu Ocha, which I want to write about because Ocha is such an amazing individual. And he was talking about, they were asking about his, about hundreds of different things about the way he played and and the things he did. And he said, look, you can't keep your head still. You don't know what's a ball and what's a strike. So, and I was mm. thinking, wow, that's exactly what Yasawa said. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, yeah. Camp's fully underway. We've got a lot of practice games going on and we're going to start some preseason games in March, but uh, let's make a two-seam transition and talk about, I don't know if it was shocking news, but I think it was around the time that we had come out with our last podcast that we found out that Hanshin skipper Akihiro Yano said he was going to step down after this season. Now, this is a job, I think, that can be as stressful or even more pressurized than the Giants' job because of all the intimidating figures down there in this Kansai area, it seems that, but you can't survive for a decade if you're not a huge personality in that market. Uh, I think guys like Katsuya Nomura Senichi Hoshino, those guys were dynamic personalities. Yano is just a really nice guy. And I honestly think that this really has to wear on a guy like that to have uh, sure you don't listen i mean that's one of the things i always put aside is criticism who cares people always are going to have opinions and none of those people who uh say point fingers or uh ramble on on news programs or talk on podcasts none of those people have to make the decision that the manager has to make and you're not just managing one or two guys are managing for a particular game. You're managing the whole season and the whole team, including guys who might come up from the farm team. So it's it's a huge, huge responsibility and pressure. You just really can't listen to all those outside noises. But I think some of them penetrate whatever wall, whatever uh, form of protection that you have up. So it, it it's just got to wear on you. So I'm, I'm glad he's going to take some. I, I, not seeing this as a retirement so much as taking a taking a break but i didn't read a lot of stories about it uh i didn't have time again we've just been 
consumed by the Olympics. So maybe once the Olympics uh, are over and the Paralympics are done and the season starts, I'll watch some broadcasts, listen to other shows and find out what's going on. And maybe we'll even be able to go out to the park and maybe I'll be able to talk to him because I've talked to him back when he was a dragon. I, I had spoken to him uh, in an interview, so he knows me. Maybe he'll give me some of the lowdown. But anyway, um, what was your take on that whole step down uh, once the season is my over? My take is rather, um, as, as most of my takes tend to be, kind of uh, not ambivalent, but complex and not, e- not easily um, parsed. But I'll. But I, I guess what I did was try to understand what was the uh, what was the source of the sort of fake outrage of <laughs> Yano announcing that on the the night before camp that he, this would be his last season. And uh, listening to a few people talk, I also had a kind of. I it didn't occur to me at the time, but in December when I went to Okinawa the wife and I went with another couple and uh, the gentleman who was traveling with us is, was the former uh, baseball editor for the Ho Chi Shimbun Mm -hmm. uh, some years ago. And he, you know, I asked about this thing about the tigers and pressure in the media and he kind of played that down. Um, But during the Yano, in the wake of Yano's announcement, there were a lot of people coming out in the media and saying, look, the Tigers gig is not like other teams. The media and the attention is brutal. And a lot of people were saying this, and I wasn't too aware of this. It wasn't, it didn't reach me in Tokyo, but the abuse, Yano was getting a lot of abuse last year, as I sort of predicted uh, when the Tigers blew their big lead in the central league. Mm-hmm. And he apparently, uh, a lot of things played into this. One, he said he didn't want the job in the first place. And when he announced his retirement, he said, this was never something I, I thought of doing for a long time. So the, these are the, the sort of facts that we have. And the other thing that we do know, or you know, he said is that you know this is um you know this this is the way it is i've got other he's basically telling i think i think and this is where the conflict is he's telling the world that being manager of the tigers and being manager being the leader of this group and japan's all about what group you belong to is not as important as my life and my family right Right, and, and they don't want to hear that, that probably. <laughs> yeah, that one sounds loud and clear, because you have to understand. I, I think a lot of the listeners who know Japan they understand there's this dynamic. You're allowed to have a life and family. You're encouraged to have a life and family, but you're not really allowed to say in public that your life and family are more important than your work group. Mm. It's a it's a thing that people say between themselves, and for yeah, Yana especially to come if you're out, the manager of a of a prominent baseball team, sure, you know? <laughs> because you've it's almost they uh, now in the media they said and a lot of stories reported former Tigers players the Tigers OB are up in arms 
at this outrage. Mm. But I, th- I think some of that outrage was from the media who, as I said, they, they need to create hyperbola. They, they need to create hyper expectations for the season because let's face it. Spring training is nothing. Camp is nothing. It's a bunch of guys stretching and hitting baseballs and talking and coaches talking and players who've never done anything as professionals talking and pitchers throwing pitches and, and guys getting into shape. There's there's very little to be learned. I mean, there's a lot to be learned if, you, if you're there and paying attention, but there's little of news value. And to have the manager basically say, you know, steal the show with non-baseball news. <laughs> so, you know, the whole media is built up about making, building up expectations that don't really exist, making mm-hmm. stories out of nothing. And then here comes a guy who says basically, you know, who ruins the, it takes the focus off of all the fake stories. Oh God, I hate to say fake stories, but sort of non-stories and, and gives real news that's not about what the reporters want to talk about. So the media is outraged and they've got to say the players are all outraged. But when I looked through the media, I looked for the, some of this outrage and people said, you know, even, even, uh, even guys whose, whose job are basically to, to rip everybody and everything who isn't as good as they, who wasn't as good as a player as they were, which is everybody. (laughs) <laughs> basically came out and said, um, yeah, you're not supposed to say that, but I understand it. So it, there were so many mixed messages about the whole thing. And I, I think it was basically a case of him saying, um, my life is more important than the Hanshin Tigers. And that's unforgivable if your job is spending 365 days a year saying nothing is more important than the Hanshin Tigers. Yeah. And I don't know, you know, there was talk about who should be the next manager and I saw other reports like that. And I'm like, well, look, he did stumble. They did stumble and they fell short, but uh, I don't know if there's another manager out there who could have guided them through the, the trouble spots with, with the kind of players they had and the kind of roster they had. So you can't blame everything or too much on any one person. It's a collective effort to fail or to succeed. So, uh, well, But that's but, the Tigers' MO, is to find well, yeah. a scapegoat. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, they're like, yeah. they're the scapegoats, the king of finding scapegoats. They're better than that than the Giants are. Hashtag high heat. Right. But under Yano, he has been the manager the past three seasons. They finished third and then they have two second place uh, finishes consecutively. And his record, as I did the math real quick here, is 206 and 177, a 538 winning percentage roughly. So he has had success there. The team is not a failure. He is not a failure. So uh, it's just, you know, what are the expectations of the team, honestly? And then what is the injury situation? What does a league championship mean? What does getting to the Japan series mean? All those things, you know, you throw them out the window. We were talking about a person and their health and, and their life. And everybody wants to win. I want to be, I would take, go and take a job as a manager of a baseball team if somebody would let me. Because I know it's not just the baseball. It's the, it's everything. It's, you know, caring about the people who are playing the game for you. Play, helping, having a staff that helps uh, facilitate all that stuff. When you talk about the trainers and you talk about the front office and, um, uh, 
we've talked on this show for years about how when SoftBank says, you know, we'd really like to do this and the ownership says, okay, well, let's, uh, let's, let's build that then <laughs> let's do that. So, you know, it's the whole organization. So you, you scapegoat if you want, but, um, uh, the best well, to Yano, and hopefully I'll get a chance to talk to him this year. Right, but, we, but this is so Yano because I mean we he, we had this as as I said, you know, the Tigers' expectation is that the manager one of the manager's jobs is to identify scapegoats for the media, and <laughs> all through three years we've got the reporters coming up to Yano. Was this guy the? We, did we lose the game because of this guy? And he says like, "Are you off your rocker? This guy's." <laughs> You know he's he's busting his butt for us, and he he made a mistake, so he'll get over it. What right. am I supposed to bench the bench the guy because of a mistake? Are are you are you insane? <laughs> and that was that was Yano basically telling guys to you know take your take your false hopes and go stick them buzz somewhere. off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so this right. is a just this is Yano being Yano. I think. Okay. All right. So um, yeah. Uh, we got to move on, unfortunately, and, and the, mm-hmm. the twins are up and making noise, so we really got to <laughs> really pack it in here real quick. Um, so let's make one of those one seam transitions. Uh, the uh, Tomoyuki Sugano one seamer, and uh, <laughs> we have some notes. Um, and Jim's going to handle this section. So go ahead. Right. Well, we have uh, uh, two announcements, I suppose. We have uh, as as I mentioned in our last podcast that. Uh, Coco Ballantine has not retired. He has just moved. He's re- he's given up on Japan, but he hasn't given up on baseball. All right. Uh, he has, as he said, he said he was done with Japan. Uh, but everybody said, well, he's retired because, well, you know, where is he going to go? That isn't a step down. But he has signed a contract with the Saraperos de Saltillo in the Mexican League. So... That's where he'll be doing his business. Whoa, and, Mexico. <laughs> oh, Mexico. Thank the you, Jim James Taylor. Taylor. Song, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Jim, you're all, you're on you're you're just, just Jim to you. Okay. First name basis, baby. As you I, I admire that. Yes. Okay. Um <laughs> uh, that you say that until you hear me walking down the street singing that song, then you'd be going, No, no, Jim, no. <laughs> so, did you did you know I, that um I got a I got a mention last week and uh, from uh, David Lorla of I I'm sorry David I don't pronounce your name well it's this easy looks easy uh, I'm sure it's easier to say than I think it is but uh, a great friend of 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 mine who who's been sort of like my 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 winter meeting guru mm-hmm. uh, in that he's a guy who's saying oh this is the guy you want to talk to he's the, the he's the fellow who's standing behind your left shoulder <laughs> you know, <laughs> thing like that with billy epler when he was the general manager of the angels uh-huh. um david i owe a lot of uh thanks to him and he sent me a tip to tell me that frank herman who is a longtime acquaintance of his has taken a scouting player development job with the toronto blue jays hmm. so if you want to know everything about baseball, quirky and pitching stuff, uh, especially pitching stuff, he loves talking to pit about pitchers and pitchers grips. Always look for David's uh, work in fan graphs. Okay. All right. And good luck to Frank in that uh, endeavor mm. in Toronto. And um, I would, I would ask his, I would ask his boss, who's, who's uh, an acquaintance, uh, how that came about. But um, I've been, I've been warned off 
from talking to people in the major leagues. They're saying, don't call me on my work phone. I can't be talking to a reporter during the lockout. Lockout, yeah. <laughs> it's amazing the the long tentacles of the major leagues stretch out worldwide <laughs> and impact yeah. what's going on. It's just That's amazing. Right. But Okay, just remember, you got one more every, note. And the other news is that uh, for the last month, uh, Samurai Japan and NPB have been trying to wrangle to get Taiwan's uh, players, Taiwan's national team, into Japan uh, when non-resident uh, foreign nationals are not permitted to enter Japan mm-hmm. as an emergency measure. And uh, as they were tr- they were thinking they were in the home stretch, Taiwan said, hey, look, Japan... Uh, your COVID numbers are kind of high, and we'd rather not go anyway. <laughs> so, so the Taiwan national team says we've got we've got baseball to play and players to keep healthy. So you can keep your COVID in your country, and we'll stay here. Wow, <laughs> nice! <laughs> yeah, I love it. All right, uh, let's go to fielding questions. All right, so it comes from our buddy Coaster Freak, uh, Rams, baby. Uh, Now that MLB has agreed upon a universal DH whenever they play again, will the Central League follow suit since they're the last ones with the pitcher hitting? The last ones. Uh, So typically, I think NPB mirrors MLB's rules, and they like to or adopt what's going on in the major leagues. I'm just not sure that the old fogies network here in Japan will roll over on this so easily. I I don't think it'll be a one year thing after MLB flips. It might take two years, but eventually I think it's in the cards, but I've said before, I don't like the DH. There's a lot of strategy that gets uh, lost in the game with the timing of removing pitchers and what pitchers to use to get out of certain uh, situations because the pitcher spot is coming up in the lineup. And again, these Central League teams, they don't have a DH per se on the roster all the time. And I think that's a position that really needs development, especially for the Central League, because they uh, most of the, the players who are on rosters right now, they're not used to doing it. So you're going to have to bring somebody in per se, or, or let's say, and I, I think it has to be, it's a, it's a process. It, you know, you don't just say, okay, this is the rule and let's start doing this tomorrow. And then you're going to see success. And I, these managers, old time managers like uh, Tatsunori Hara, who's, who has specifically been in the central league and has used these rules. I, I'm not sure that he, he's going to be good at it. I, I just don't know. I don't see it as an instant change, but I do see it coming down the line. If, if the national league in the majors, if the national league, makes that change. Um, but what do you think, Jim? Well, the outside of high school baseball, I think the highest level, if the Central League does flip, uh, the highest level baseball you'll find in the world with uh, pitchers batting will probably be the Tokyo Six University League. Okay. Because all the other university leagues and minor leagues are, will be going to the DH. Uh, as far as Japan flipping, now Hara, of course, has uh, been on... He's been trying... The Giants have been the engine trying to pull the DH into the Central League. But Hara made his announcement last December. 
uh, December, excuse me, a year, um, 14, 15 months ago. And I think this was brought upon by losing eight straight, uh, well, more than eight straight, but losing eight Japan series games in two years to the SoftBank Hawks. Yeah, you want to which- re- refresh our listeners on what announcement Hara made? Hara said the Giants want to go to a DH so we can compete against the Pacific League. Okay. And as I said, I think that was brought around, brought about by the Giants' two embarrassing Japan Series exits in which he used, I think, two starting pitchers in two years. And I used three over two years, but he used two in each series. And then he went to his bullpen games. And I don't know how having a DH is going to help him trust his pitchers in the postseason. Yeah. But but I one of my uh, one of my Twitter followers said actually said is it's my opinion, but it just seems that DH leagues have done better in interleague play, and I mm-hmm. that is true. The the uh, in in the U.S. major leagues, uh, the DH American League has an edge in interleague play. It's like a five. 40 winning percentage and in Japan it's a little slightly higher than that for the Pacific League. Okay. I think there's something to that and I think uh, uh, my famous reference to that is a former uh, pitcher when I asked him about the Pacific League success he says I think I think the DH helps the helps the Jap- the Pacific League pitchers develop. Uh, that was one of his reasons so I think their pitching is better. And I, I think there's something to that. Oh, because they're and, not, they're not, they're not working on hitting. Well, not no. I don't think it's because they're not working on hitting. I don't. I think that's such a small thing. I think it's because they are uh, facing a facing better hitters. They're facing fewer pitchers, and they're left in their their pitching in games depends a hundred percent on their fitness and the game situation. Their pitching quality not on whether they're losing by three runs in the third inning. Okay. Okay. And, and just as a, as a kind of re, not a, a retort or a rebuttal, but another side to the coin, uh, you know, the defenders of the DH will say, I like the strategy. Our defenders of pitchers batting say, I like the strategy of changing pitchers. Uh, but I think that's probably a wash because when you have a pitcher batting and his job is to bunt the runner over. It's not really a choice. Whereas if you have an actual hitter batting, then you can decide what's better to bunt or to or to actually try to. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not talking about that specifically. I'm talking about, for instance, uh, uh, you know, you know, the pitcher spot is coming up third, mm, correct, in, in, at the bottom of an inning, and you have a pitcher out there who's a little maybe ineffective or fatigued or whatever the situation mm. may be. Who do you bring in? Mm-hmm. And do you think that that pitcher is going to be able to get you out of that situation, keep the game intact, as opposed? To, and my 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 opinion has nothing to do with the actual hitting. It has to do with the removal and the who and the when and the how. Not yeah, necessarily okay. what the pitcher's no, doing. No, I, I understand. Box, it has bunting or striking out. Okay. I don't care what they're doing in the batter's box. That's that's. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. Um, but for me, that's that's a side that people basically uh, say it's a one-sided thing. All the strategy is on 
removing a pitcher based on where he is in the batting order, which is yours, not that he's bunting or not. But mine is saying that if you have a guy who's a non-hitter, your options are limited and strategy exists in having in having options and being able to make real choices. If you if if your only choice is to is to use a pinch hitter or have the pitcher bunt, it's not really a choice. So the, so what I'm saying is that on the offensive side, having a DH gives adds a strategy to the game. Whereas I understand what you're saying that uh, the issue of when to pull your pitcher is complicated by the question of when he's going to come up in a batting order that doesn't exist in the in the not in the DH league because you don't worry about if the guy if you right. need to change pitchers you change pitchers without thinking about where he is in the batting order because he's not in the batting order so in, in exchange for that you get what we get in the Pacific League is you know managers who bunt uh, 60 times a year and managers who would bunt 400 times a year if they could. And you can never see that in the central league because the, of the limited strategic options that having a pit li- limited tactical options that having a pitcher in the batting order give you. So I think it's, a, it's a wash at best at, at best. It's a wash. I don't it's, know. It's I... ex- exchanging one. Yeah. Well it's exchanging one thing you have but it's a loss in in, in essence. And I, I think this is the, the issue is not that it's more strategy. And I really don't think it is, although that's the argument. I think it's a matter of losing something you know. Yes, you're losing something you know. But uh, you, you, I think that you're assuming that these pitchers batting that or whatever pinch hitter or whatever happens at the plate is also something that you can anticipate. And I don't think that's something you can always anticipate, but you can always anticipate when a pitcher's spot is coming up in the batting order, if you know what I mean. You don't know yeah. that 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 your leadoff yeah, I- batter is going to end up on first base, so you don't know that you're going to be bunting in the next inning, so you can't plan for that. But you can no. definitely plan for the pitcher having to having to be in the in the batting order and you know that you have to do something. Well, whether that's- it's whether yeah. it's pull the pitcher or put it, you know, leave him out there. Well, I'm granted I, I'm that. Not, I think I, you're talking about X factors versus uh, an X that we know the value of. But well, we I can think talk the about X, this. I think the X that we know the value of is that we're used to pitchers batting. Uh, we grew up, I mean, both you and I remember and to but some I, degree. I, I'm not arguing that I want the pitchers pitch. to bat. Yeah, I, my whole no, it's just something about... that we know. We're used to that situation. It's normal for a lot of people, and uh, and people don't like what's normal being taken away from them. That's what I think is is the main issue. Okay. It's not well, the it's not really the strategy because I think that this because it's lame if you say I don't like losing it because I'm used to it. So no, people click. No, I think that is it. To be honest, you that's think that, that that's what I'm saying? I'm used to it. No, no, no. I'm saying yeah. Oh, that's I the think argument. It's part that of you our hear? culture. Oh, I think well, it's part of our no, co- I mean, our, our culture. Look, I don't, I, I don't, I don't really look at the picture as being this automatic out that I don't that doesn't excite me. A lot of sports, we're looking at it as our just for our entertainment. We want to see these guys do this and that and the other, and that's. You know, I, I like the thinking part of of 
sports. I like the mental side. I like seeing savvy players who aren't as great physically, but can think their way through situations and figure out Agreed. what their opponents are going going to do. So, so that's what I that's what I would be looking at as a as a loss. I don't really care what happens in the in the batter's box itself. I, I'm thinking, I'm always thinking about the game. I'm thinking about the count and how it changes the game and all those, the, the way it impacts and losing that aspect is taking, you know, if yeah, I don't taking have to away think, something. I, I don't know, but if I don't have to think about what the the manager is thinking, then it's, then there's a whole section of the game that's taken the strategy wise that's taken away from me. Right, so, that part. But on the other hand, the manager has more choices if it's not, uh, you know, if he has a real hitter. I mean, he has a. Well, yeah, you're saying choices. if, but see, and I say we do know that there's no if about it. The the batter spot is coming up. There's no ifs. And then when you don't have that aspect, now you're talking about ifs. If a runner gets on, if somebody gets to second, what am I going to do? If this happens, and that that's all I'm talking about. So. I think I, I think it's a hit and miss here. I think you're throwing. I'm throwing a pitch that you're not seeing, and and I don't think we're on the same. I think same we're having we, what we have here as the great Strother Martin said is a failure to communicate, which will not be the first time. But so we'll I'm we'll gonna, get into I'm gonna, it. I'm going time. to I'm going to uh, I'm going to give you a pass on this, and I'm sure I'm going to give you a pass one. too, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> for handing out free passes, you get one too. <laughs> Batter, take your base. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to not rant any more than I any more than I normally do and have done. We'll we'll probably get back to this uh, some other time. Hopefully, I suspect... someone ask us a question, hint hint about it, and we can get back into it. But thank you so much, Coaster Freak. We appreciate your question and. Anyone else who has a question, hit us up on Twitter at JBW Podcast with the hashtag High Heat. Send questions by email, including your MP3 questions to YAKYUJOHN at gmail.com and hit us up on the Facebook page. Leave us a message there. We will talk to you next time, whenever that is. I think we need recovery time from the Olympics and uh, whatever else, what other stressors that come out there. But so glad and want to thank my sister, uh, which I, we forgot to do at the beginning for the new music. She and another uh, musician worked on our music again and, and did a revamp. So we appreciate yeah. that. And uh, want to thank Charlotte. Gabe also. Thanks, Charlotte. Yep, yep. And want to thank Gabe for doing the voiceover and the voice. Thanks, in. Gabe. He just sent me as, as we were recording here. So uh, we will use that. Uh, I'll take a listen and try to edit everything and get it out. So we will talk to you next time. Enjoy your baseball. Stay safe, everyone. Follow the hosts on Twitter at JVW Podcast and at JBallAllen. Submit your questions with hashtag HighHeat and listen for an answer in an upcoming episode.